Hi, everyone. I'm Mackie Craven, a partner here at OpenView. As a VC firm, we invest in business software companies at the expansion stage and work closely with their teams to help them build large and enduring businesses. This season of Build is dedicated to a topic we've become increasingly passionate about, product-led growth. Each week, I sit down with leaders from PLG companies to find out about what it took to build and scale their businesses, advice they would give their younger selves, and some pretty fun and surprising facts along the way. Now, on with the show. On today's episode of Build, we learn about the principles on which Clearbit was built with co-founder, CEO, and office DJ, Alex McCaw. He shares his perspective on transparency, work-life balance, how he learned to love management with the help of his executive coach, and the framework he uses to come to a solution when there's a disagreement. Well, look, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Build. You know, we've gotten to know each other over a number of years. I'm really excited to spend some time today talking about you and about Clearbit and how and why you're building the company that you are. But maybe just at the beginning, so everyone's got similar context, it'd be great if you could just introduce Clearbit and share a little bit about what you're building. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. So essentially what Clearbit is at its core is a data company. We track every other company in the world that has a website, and then we sell basic facts about those companies. So that could be size, location, category, market vertical, etc. Most people use this data for lead scoring, qualification, and really this is just the tip of the iceberg for what we do. We have about five different products at this point in time. Everything from de-anonymizing IP addresses, seeing who's visiting your website, to finding net new prospects. Basically, anything to do with people or companies, we do. Would it be fair to say you're uh, taking steps forward and helping democratize you know, data and accessibility to data about entities, again, people and companies on the internet? Well, there's one fundamental truth, is that every company needs data. And that's one of the reasons that I started a company in this space, is because I just felt like data was the future. And having these really personalized experiences when you go to a website, the landing page is personalized. When you sign up, all the copy is personalized to your role and your seniority and what kind of company you work for. And then having a really personalized conversation with a sales rep. I think those are all part of the future of how modern sales is going to be done. It totally makes sense. But going back, I think it's one thing to have an observation and have a hypothesis and Obviously, a fundamentally different thing to decide to do something about it, to found a company and ultimately bring something into this world, both a product and organization, and to have that impact. So would love to hear a little bit of how and why you decided to tackle this and build Clearbit. Well, that's a great question. So this is going to sound a little unusual. So most founders, they have some grand problem in the world they're trying to solve. And don't get me wrong, I think Clearbit is extremely valuable to the world, and I think you know we do good things. But that's not why I started this company. I started this company to self-actualize. So what do I mean by that? Well, I think there's a lot of ways of self-actualizing. There's meditation, philosophy, therapy. But I think that starting a company is a great way of doing it because it really pushes you to your absolute limits. And you get to try and become the best version of yourself. And the great thing is, I feel like this is not just limited to me. I ask everyone who works at Clearbit to treat the company the same way, like a self-growth vehicle, so that they can self-actualize and become the best versions of themselves. 
You're right. That is a really interesting place to start and one that I'd say is an uncommon origin. So as you think about that principle of self-actualization, both for you as the reason to go and build a business, but also to create an environment and an opportunity, you might even say a platform, right, for those who are a part of the company to go through that journey. You know, how do you think about the design principles, the things that guide you and unique aspects of culture, values, process, all of the things that make up the organization that you're building to further that end? Well, these days I spend a lot of time thinking about it. At some point after you hit product market fit, and it's clear that you build something that people want, it's time to move into company making. So essentially building the machine that builds the machine. I've always believed the score will take care of itself. And if we build an incredible team and we manage them well and we enable them well, then we'll build incredible products and the revenue will follow. And that's been Clibbit's story so far. You know, financially, the company's been successful. In most of the company's life, we've been a profitable company. And so I've got to the stage in my career, my job, where I'm mostly thinking about company building and about culture. So at this point, I've almost delegated everything. So I spend my time thinking about strategy, about culture management, the principles behind the business. I call these the six pillars of Clibbit. And I can go into them if you're interested. Very much so. Uh, it'd be great to hear what the six are, and hopefully we'll have time to explore a few of them, if not all, in a little bit more depth. Awesome. So the first principle is people. I think 80% of the work of management is actually done up front by hiring the right people who manage themselves, that kind of thing. So I get fairly involved in the hiring side of things. We have a whole set of principles for how we hire, how we do culture checks, that kind of thing. Second pillar is autonomy. So I think the secret to a happy team is treating them like adults. You know, default to trust, delegate. Your team should be making decisions and driving things, not you. And then the third is transparency. So we are transparent in all areas aside from conversation and performance. And this, first of all, builds mutual trust. You know, We're trusting our team by being extremely transparent with us, and they return that it's also just a lot more efficient, like having multiple levels of knowledge and trust throughout the company is just a huge amount of overhead. And lastly, it lets us draw from the wisdom of the crowds. So we're shining light on difficult problems. The more bright minds we have thinking about these problems, the more likely we are to solve them. And then the next pillar is feedback, and this is key. So we have a culture of giving and receiving and feedback. I crave feedback because I'm not objective enough about myself to grow without it. And so we have a very flat company where everyone gives everyone feedback because we all expect it, because we all want it. And to give you an example, I asked the whole company the other day, how do you feel about Alex's performance as CEO? Where are some areas that he can improve? And this is an anonymous survey. And then I published all the critical feedback to really demonstrate that I'm trying to improve. You know, people were like, Alex, your public speaking sucks. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get a public speaking coach and improve that. But without that kind of feedback, I just wouldn't have improved. And then the next pillar is health. Honestly, this is number one. It's the most important thing. You don't really have much without it. And I think the issue that I have with the idea of work-life balance is it implies the two are kind of diametrically opposed to each other. 
And I prefer this idea of work-life harmony, where you look at the whole thing holistically and you try and integrate health into your work life. So at Clearbird, that means things like really healthy lunches. We have a couple of chefs on site cooking for us, great perks around gym, stipends, you know, the best health insurance we can find, on-track vacation. We actually give everyone a therapist. We offer therapy for everyone. And then we're very flexible. We don't track your time in the seat. And this means that if you have a different schedule, let's say you need to drop off your kid, you can do that. It doesn't matter where you're working from. So health is one of the key ones. The next pillar is management. And this is the last pillar. So most companies, and certainly most companies our size, are about 100 people at this point, they don't put that much thought into management and training. You'll get a lot of circumstances where ICs, individual contributors, are promoted. You can't see this, but I'm saying promoted in air quotes because <laughs> I actually think it's a completely different career choice. They're promoted into management and they're not given enough training. And then it's a crapshoot when you join a company as to which manager you get, if they're good, if they're bad, if they've been trained or not. And then, but your manager is so key to your entire experience at a company. And so it's, it's so key to get that right. So I spend a lot of time on management training. We have a whole management handbook that we use internally. We have this set of principles called conscious leadership. And there's a whole book about this that we ask everyone to read before they join the company. And it's this incredible framework for running your life, for being curious rather than trying to be right all the time. Those are the, the six principles behind Clearbit. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you walking through each of those, right? People, autonomy, transparency, feedback, health, and management. I definitely want to dive into one of the things you talked about around harmony, not work-life balance, but being able to integrate and live one's life. And again, it aligns very well, I think, with sort of the self-actualization idea that you started a clear bit around. But maybe even before we dive in there, how did you come to these six? What was the process you went through, either iterative building the company or sort of grand vision on a whiteboard to get to these pillars that now guide what you do and what your team does as you grow the business and, and as, as people, you grow in the business? I like to say that I was incredibly prescient and I thought about this all before I started the company, but honestly, it's been this organic thing that's evolved over time. Part of it's related to my experiences working for other businesses, but a lot of this comes just from the people here. So I asked everyone at Clibit, again, we have this anonymous survey system. It's one of the best tools that I have, and I can ask them these questions. And I asked them, what do you love about working at Clibit? And these were the core things. I would say when we were about 20, 25 people, I went through quite a transformation. Up to that point, I'd been engineering for way too long. I've been building out a lot of our products. You know, we were three years in at this point, and I'm still coding. And honestly, not being a great CEO, I realized I had to stop this at some point. And I kind of went cold turkey, and I stopped programming one day. And then I got pretty depressed, honestly, because I was like, well, what else do I have to do? You know, I'm not sure I really like this management stuff. I don't know if I want to be CEO, that kind of thing. 
And then I got this exec coach, this guy called Matt Rashari. And this guy is incredible. He has helped some of the best companies on the planet from Coinbase to White Combinator to Plaid. And we were lucky to get him in pretty early on. And he sat down with me for about a month in all my one-on-ones, just really training me, helping me become a much better manager and really seeing the love in management. He's actually written this book. It's called The Great CEO Within, and it is just available free online. Just Google that and you'll find it. But I think it's just the best book on how to build a company. And we essentially structured Clibit around this book. Wow. It sounds like an incredibly both powerful and inspiring journey. And, and I have to say that moment of being able to go cold turkey right, on writing code, on the thing that you know, perhaps said carries you to that point and having the ability to recognize that's not what was going to carry you in the business forward is both common in general, but incredibly hard as a transition to go through. Yeah, I, th- I think it is hard. And I think, honestly, less technical founders make better CEOs because they give up coding a little earlier. For me, it was a, a really tough transition. And so, One thing that you'd mentioned, particularly as you were talking about the pillar of management, was this idea of conscious leadership. Mm -hmm. Could you just tell me a a little bit more about what that is and and why that's so important to what you're building? Well, there's a thing called conscious leadership. There's a whole book behind it. It's called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Essentially, at its core, conscious leadership is all about being more interested in learning than being right. Right. And when our egos make us afraid to be wrong, that fear lets us defend our ideas at all costs, often with anger and fear, and to work hard to convince others that we're right. And it's a state of playful curiosity that truly elegant solutions are achieved. And these principles behind conscious leadership are such a great framework for that. At Clearbit, we ask everyone to read the book before they join. And then it just gives us the shared vernacular when we're talking through ideas. And, you know, we'll say, oh, we're above the line, we're below the line. We use the term, the story in my head, rather than this is what I think or this is what I know to be true. Because the idea of the story in your head is a lot softer. We all have these stories in our heads about relationships with each other and each other's motivations but that's all they really are they're just stories in our head and we have no real way of knowing if they're true and thinking about problems with this framework actually really lets you come to fantastic solutions just because you're being driven by curiosity rather than your ego that's great and and as you were starting to describe the most basic concept there of conscious leadership Right, which is around that, you know, you put it as sort of playful curiosity, really trying to figure out what is the right answer or what is closer to perhaps a truth in between us rather than the story in our heads, you know, really ring to a lot of bells just around the process of doing first principles analysis, right? Or sort of what the best analytical teams can do. And so as you think about both as an engineer and as someone who's gone through those processes and, and how they translate into management, either sort of through the conscious leadership framework or without, be really curious to see you know, what the parallels are that you see or, or even if those two things in your mind are, are as closely related as, let's say, they, uh, they sounded to me. 
Yeah, there's a lot of parallels with principle-based thinking. What I've found is that we all like to think that we think from first principles, but ultimately there's a lot of emotion in there as well. And it's really hard to remove that. I think having this framework of curiosity and this shared vernacular helps really understand when you are being really affected by some emotion and being motivated by some emotion and being able to express that properly rather than just trying to pretend that emotions just don't exist. One of the principles is exploring the opposite. And you know, the Wright brothers, whenever they had a disagreement, what they would do is they would take the side of each other. They would swap sides and try and argue each other's side. And that way, they would try and remove some of the ego around it about who's right, who's wrong. And I find that this is a great framework for actually coming to good solutions. It absolutely is. As you look at operating Clearbit with these core pillars, how do you see that that has affected the way you build your product and the way you expose your product to the world and the value you look to deliver there? Well, we're a really product-driven company for sure. I'm a firm believer that the clock is ticking for these legacy enterprise companies that are relying on their sales team to put lipstick on a crappy product. So, you know, we built one of the best product teams I've ever seen at Clearbit, and I think it's going to be one of our biggest competitive advantages. And when I look at the competition, zero of them can compete with us if we're competing on a product basis rather than on a sales basis. So... Being product-led is very important to me. But where conscious leadership comes in is making decisions about those products. You know, There's a million different directions you can go in, and there's a lot of personalities and opinions at the table. And trying to build the best possible product, that requires a lot of curiosity and checking your ego at the door. Absolutely, and particularly for product-led businesses like Clearbet. You have the opportunity to not just, in theory, experiment and sit around a table and debate what to do and therefore go through a long release cycle before it gets to customers. There you have a platform to experiment much more directly and influence the conversation with data. And so we'd be really curious to hear how you think about evolving product, how you think about incorporating data and perhaps even the process of experimentation, right? Sort of extending that curiosity and conscious leadership directly into what you build and, and how you build it. So when it comes to data, data in its vacuum is useless. It could be the best data in the world, but if it's not joined with any of the data that you're using or in any of your workflows, then it's just not useful. That's how I think about data. I want Clearbit to be really integrated into your whole stack so that you can use our data throughout the whole thing to make really good decisions. And also, we can push additional data and new products to you without you changing a thing. There's an upfront cost of integrating, but once you have that data flowing, then we can make improvements and improve the data every single month without you having to really worry about data at all. It should fade away into the background and just be part of this more holistic decision-making process that you use. So should I qualify this customer or not? What copy should I use on the website? Which trip campaign should I send? 
Those are the kind of questions that I'm more interested in rather than basic facts about a company. It's essentially what you do with the data that's really important. Yeah. And you know, with that in mind, at ClearBet, whether it's the data that your product provides or the data directly from your product, how do you apply those principles and ask those questions to create more value for your users and, and ultimately more value for customers and stakeholders in the ecosystem? Well, the nice thing about running a data company is being able to dog food your own product. So we use our product more than almost anyone. I've seen, you know, I used to work at Stripe as an engineer, and there was one engineer at Stripe who had actually built a product using Stripe. And it was a bit of a tragedy because we just didn't have the insight that a, a customer really would. And at Clearbit, the nice thing about this company is that we can use the data and dog food the data all over the place. So we're often the first people to use data in a particular fashion, and then we productize that. And a good example of this is our homepage and sign-up process. We really customize the whole thing dependent on which company you work for. So we use our technology to de-anonymize IP addresses, figure out which company you work for, and then customize the copy on the homepage. So depending on the market vertical, the size of the company, we show you different things. We'll show you customer stories that are specific to the company that you work for. So testimonials that are in the market vertical of the company you work for. And then when you sign up, we autofill that sign-up form with as much information as we can. And if we can answer a question rather than asking you, then that's one less form fill to fill in. And then once you're signed up, that entire dashboard is customized based on your company information, the technology your company uses, your role in seniority. Are you in sales? Are you in marketing? Are you an engineer? We'll send you different emails. For engineers, they get an email with a code snippet in it. For marketers, they get an email with information about our Marketo integration. For sales reps, we give them this free Chrome extension that we've made that lets them use Clibit instantly. And then for sales leadership, we point them to our Salesforce integration. So we have this completely customized experience. And that extends as well to all forms of communication, like ads, for example. Ads are just another type of communication. As soon as you sign up to Clibit, we'll put you in a cross-sell ad campaign to show you all the other products that we have, to really make sure that you're making the best use of uh, product base. That's really interesting. And, and it goes back to what you're talking about you know, at the beginning around providing increasingly you know, customized, but also therefore you know, really helpful experiences for folks who are on the web and, and are certainly in this case looking to explore, learn more about, and get the most out of you know, Clearbit. One of the key principles that we've seen some of the most successful product-led companies apply is this idea of focusing on customer success throughout the journey with a prospect, with you know someone who's just started to use the platform, and, and with those that, that perhaps are the largest or most dedicated users, as opposed to thinking about, let's say, marketing, sales, support, success, some of these traditional disciplines is different. It's one kind of communication with a customer. So it sounds like that's something that you look to embody as well. Absolutely. Some of the other, you know, I would say maybe two of the other characteristics we see most commonly are A, delivering value before you look to capture value, 
and B, really sort of building these systems of experimentation. And so you can figure out, you know, what are the best ways, really, A, to deliver value and B, to guide a prospect, a customer through their journey to be able to get the most value out of using the platform. And so curious if either of those you know, sort of ideas resonate with you? And, and if so, you know, things you might be doing at Clearbit that either have worked really well or maybe even some things that you try that maybe haven't worked as well towards those goals. Yeah, so I think one interesting thing that we've started doing, and we totally ripped this off from Superhuman, was rather than deploy new products and have extremely wide beaters to, you know, we have thousands of customers at this point, and when we're doing product development, you know, traditionally, we've just opened them up to everyone. But the problem with that is that you get a lot of noise and you get less signal. And some of these companies are really just not well suited to the product that you're building. And it was when I read that superhuman blog post on First Round's blog, when they talk about how they had a really small beta and they were iterating with it for, I think, almost a year, that really resonated with me. So we've started doing that. So we have a whole new product development cycle. We have about 50 companies that we've been beta testing some of these new products with, and there's quite a commitment for them to be a beta tester to us. You know, we ask quite a lot, but in return, they get to develop these new products exactly as they see fit. Their feedback goes straight back into these products, which they're finding really useful to run their sales and marketing stack. So we've reduced the size of the beta to about 50 companies, and we extended that beta to really hone in the product before we launched it. It makes a huge amount of sense and, and is maybe a bit of a harken back to some of the more, let's say, legacy or traditional enterprise software companies have done overtaking right a small set of highly trusted relationships and dogfooding a, a little bit with them. How do you handle the communication cadence and, and integrate feedback from the folks in that beta with your product team and with your engineers? So we do calls with them. We do Zoom calls. We have a shared Slack channel with them. We use Full Story to track their activity on the site and play it back so we can see if there are any UI issues. We'll even get them around the office for drinks and chat to them and talk them through the whole process. So there's a lot of collaboration there to try and build the best possible product. That's fantastic. And giving that human exposure as well. I'm curious, do they come away feeling and seeing you know, some of the things that you've described here? And, and how does that change or have you seen that help evolve perhaps the perspectives of your customers about Clearbit and the relationship that you're able to develop with them? Well, you know, my product development strategy when we first started was basically throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> and it worked for a while, you know. I think we were lucky that the first product that we made really took off. But at our size now, you know, we just can't do that anymore. We really have to have a customer-driven, product-driven company. And we need to take direction from our customers. Now, this doesn't mean say yes to every single customer request or say yes to requests from people who honestly aren't qualified to be our customers. It's picking the customers that we really, really want to build stuff for and then iterating with them really closely to build the right thing. In that vein, as you think about your perspective when you started building Clearbit versus where you are today, you obviously talked about the journey as a whole, talked about a pivotal moment in that journey 
where he decided to go cold turkey on coding to really think more about what it meant to be a CEO and to build this organization. What advice would you give to yourself before starting the Clearbit journey that you frankly probably wouldn't have listened to then, but might have been perhaps the most powerful or sound piece of advice that you could have given yourself those many years ago? Get a therapist, get an exec coach, and then more strategically, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. It's an English saying we have, but at some point as a CEO, your job becomes about investment, making the right investments. It's something I've struggled with for a long time is actually, we're a very frugal company. We've been profitable for a long time. So making those right investments has been difficult. One of the major mistakes I made was not hiring enough on the sales and customer success functions. If I was going to do it all again, I would front load a proper customer success function, probably even before we build out our sales team. And what are the things that you experienced as a business now that put that front and center, both to think about hiring sales and customer success earlier than you did, but in particular, the idea of putting customer success ahead of sales, right? as really that first group focused on engaging with your users and with your customers more broadly. Well, the nice thing about overhiring for customer success is that it's really hard to actually overhire because A, your sales will always catch up with your CS team, and B, it's not a bad problem if your customers are getting too much attention, right? <laughs> you know, on the sales side, you can definitely overhire and you can outhire your leads, and therefore, you know, your sales team are sitting there twiddling their thumbs. But on the customer success side, I don't think you can make an underinvestment there. I think you should really build out that function. It's actually a really hard muscle to flex. It requires a lot of training, very specific people. So I would get started building that out as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's incredibly sound advice. It allows you to demonstrate empathy to make those customers more successful can be a fantastic conduit back into the business, you know, and feedback. And particularly when you have this product-led opportunity, really helps them move through their journey in not just leveraging the product, but increasingly finding ways to drive more value for themselves and, and for their organizations, which is, you know, in some sense, the best kind of relationship that you can have. Right. Well, sort of as promised, I you know, thought it would be fun to think about what you're doing maybe when you're not 100% focused and engaged with the team at Clearbit. And so when you're not building Clearbit, what do you do to unwind? Well, I have always loved music. And about six months ago, I started teaching myself how to DJ. And my goal was to DJ the company office party. And I did that in December and, you know, 300 people, and, <laughs> and it was quite daunting. But honestly, DJing is just so relaxing to me, especially even just by myself. You know, late into the evenings, I will just mix music that I love and really unwind in the office. I have a whole DJ set up in the office, and I'll DJ late into the night. That's awesome. Has your team given you a DJ name? <laughs> oh, God. I have a really silly DJ name. It's DJ Rosé. <laughs> and uh, I even have a SoundCloud that you guys can check out. Awesome. We'll make sure to include that. And I, I guess I can't not ask, how did DJ Rosé come to be? Uh, I really like Rosé. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the best answer. It's funny, my father's a professional musician, but I think those genes skipped a generation, or at least I'm, I'm hoping they will, because they definitely miss me. And so I end up finding myself on the squash courts, which is something one of my closest friends ended up getting me into in university. And I haven't quite been able to put it down. Something about that little black ball takes my mind off everything else. But DJ Rosé, I'm going to have to check that out on SoundCloud. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, look, Alex, thank you so much for joining us on Build Today. It was wonderful to hear about your own personal journey, the pillars that you're using to build the company and, and really the culture and, and people that are a part of it. And you've you know, given me a great pointer on, on where to hear some, hopefully, some awesome beats. So all in all... Thanks. Well, no, thank you. I really love being on here. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to Build on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite purveyor of podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that's read by over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Also, while you're there, check out new content daily on our blog. Until next time, 